0: This is episode number 349, How to Tell a Captivating Story with Majid Mogaraban. Welcome. My name is Oleg Lohid, and this is the Overcoming Odds Podcast, where you get a glimpse into the stories of individuals who've overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving their personal success. This podcast was built by you and for you, to help you overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving your fullest potential. Before we get into today's episode, I would like to make a few quick announcements. The first announcement being an invitation to all of our listeners to our recently launched program called Rewrite Your Story. What this is, is a program that we've been developing over the past five to six years of working with people from all over the world in helping them rewrite their story, the story of their past, the story of their future, the story of the hardship and the challenges that they've experienced in their lives, and help them find ways to turn those stories into opportunities to learn and to grow from. If you feel like this message speaks to you, please consider visiting our website at overcomingodds.com. Dot today, where you'll be able to find the latest details regarding this particular program. The second announcement that I wanted to make is in regard to our show, and that is if our show has had any form of impact in your life, please consider supporting our cause by either making a contribution through our website at overcomingodds.today or leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google, so more people can find these inspiring, and courageous conversations. Now, let's get back to the show. So it's interesting, or at least I find it interesting that, you know, we're having this conversation about uh, your story and in particular, what is your story? How do you tell your story? Uh, this morning, I was making a post and as I was making a post, you know how LinkedIn gives you those notifications like people's birthdays, people posted this, blah, blah, blah. And one of the people that had said it was his birthday actually happened to be a guy that I, one of the first people when I was a freshman in college that I I had shared my story with. I remember walking into the writing center, and he was one of the tutors there, and I came in there to get some help on a memoir that I was beginning, and so I, you know, I didn't really know how to share this story. So I just laid it all on him. <laughs> all the traumas, all the adversities, everything. And it's funny because here I am having this conversation with you around the same exact theme. And yet he's the His name out of literally 7,000 other people pops up on the screen. So, I don't know how you process those moments, but for me, I I stopped believing coincidences many, many years ago. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think that it's just so interesting. I think like when you're so aligned with a particular theme or a topic or a question, and then life literally presents those things in front of you. And so I actually, I wrote him a thank you note here, you know, that I'm going to send to him because I completely forgot that he was actually one of the first people who gave me that space and opportunity to share in whatever way that I shared it with him. And had it not been for him, I may not be here doing what I do.
1: Mm.
2: Well, what I hear there, Oleg, is the value in someone hearing your story Mm. and, and feeling understood and seen when someone hears your story. Mm Mm-hmm. And my guess is that uh, the story that you told back then, which you used the word trauma about, Mm -hmm. is probably quite different from the story that you tell now, which probably sounds more like a hero's journey when you tell it now.
0: Yes. 100%. I think the more that I think about the story that I told back then, I definitely took people down some of the darkest moments and did not necessarily pave a path for them to get out of those moments. And so I think there is there's a, I think there's a tremendous amount of skill that comes when it, when it comes to telling of one story. and that was one of the things that I was going to be curious in exploring with you, as far as your own journey and the story that you've written and lived for yourself, how much would you say that process has changed from where you started? to where you are now? Well,
2: the way I think about storytelling now is um, I think about it in terms of sales and marketing because I do it uh, for my own business to generate sales and attract the right clients, and I support my clients in doing the same. So my process looks like who's the client, what is their challenge, and how do you tell your story so that they see you as the solution to their problem? Mm -hmm. That's a very specific result that we're after. But your your opening here reminded me of uh, one of the times that I turned to storytelling as a uh, way of healing someone. And I'm an immigrant to Canada, so I'm born in the United States. My father was born in Iran, who immigrated to the United States. And I gather, Oleg, that you're an immigrant as well. Yes. And so, you know, we have our, our challenges as immigrants. And one of the things that I did uh, in Canada as a volunteer service to the community was I worked in this immigration center because I knew how challenging it is for people to arrive. And it's it was easy for me. I'm university educated, English speaking, American born, like to become a Canadian was relatively easily compared to a lot of the people I was uh, meeting. One of the people I met was a woman and she was from a, a village in a Middle Eastern country. And the story that she was telling me about what happened to her and what's happening to her now that she's in mm-hmm. Canada sounded very hard and sad. And, you know, she doesn't know anybody and she can't get a job and nobody wants to hire her and et cetera, et cetera. And I remember um, this is way before I became into a professional speaker, before I really learned the science or, or art of or storytelling. I remember saying to her, we've got to come up with a different story for you because that story is hard to hear and probably hard for you to tell. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: And if you look at, I said to her, imagine the women or the the people back in your village. What do you think their story is of you? You're probably their hero. Mm -hmm. And she paused for a second and her face changed and she said, yeah, I think you're right. And I said, think about the story that your kids would tell about you you're brave and you're strong and she said yeah you're right and so we we worked on a new way for her to describe her story and in a lot of ways your story is how you see yourself and how other people see you and by the end of our conversation she felt way better about herself and her situation just by changing how she told her own story Mm -hmm. so I gather Oleg that's that's perhaps related or similar to, to some of the work that you do.
0: Yeah. Do, do you find that through the work that you've done and kind of just your own process of telling your own story, how different is the beginning compared to where you are at now? I I mean, I know you mentioned like the, the words that you use, it impacts you differently compared to how you present yourself now than maybe when you did back then. And even the same exact thing in the, um, woman's case that you had mentioned. And I'm wondering, for anyone that is kind of just starting the process of telling that story, are there certain words that are more powerful than others? Uh, Are there certain situations that are better to tell than other experiences? Like where where does one even begin? I guess that's my question.
2: Yeah. So um, I'll first share how I tell my story differently now than I did 10, 15 years ago. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: 15 years ago, I was young and lacked the confidence that anyone would take me seriously. And I felt like the the function of my story is to impress people. Mm. So I would talk about my accomplishments, just like you do on a resume or a cover letter. I've won these awards and I started these businesses and I traveled to these countries and I've got this certificate. And that was my story. It was all highlights and accomplishments. And what's missing there is a humble beginning.
1: Mm.
2: What's missing there is the humanity of challenge. And so in presenting myself as the world's most accomplished young man, <laughs> um,
0: I'm laughing because I did the same thing. <laughs> right,
2: right. Now, uh, as I'm a bit wiser to uh, the journey of life, and as I've had uh, several rock bottoms, and as I can look back and see the gap between where I am now and where I came from, my humble beginnings, mm-hmm. when I tell my story now, and when I have a slideshow, I show a picture of me and a $75 Ikea desk in the corner of my bedroom. And I say, this is where I started. I had no idea what I was doing. And then I click the next slide and I show a $25 Starbucks gift card. And I say, this is the first time I ever got paid to speak as a professional speaker. Mm. And this is showing like, you know, I could tell you I've been on big stages and big money and made millions of dollars, but that doesn't connect with the person who is where i once was Mm -hmm. so now i know the function of my story is to uh answer the question in the mind of the audience is who's this guy and what does he have to do with me and how does he know what i'm going through so i'll 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 tell the stories that make my audience feel like oh wow this guy's just like me Mm -hmm. he has struggled just like i have struggled
0: relatable Mm -hmm. yeah yeah at what point would you say you started capturing a lot of those moments? I know you mentioned the Starbucks gift card. I've done similar things throughout my life, but I can't say I did that at the very beginning. And I'm just curious, like, why did you even do that? Why did you capture the picture of the Starbucks gift card?
1: Um,
2: Actually... um. I did not take a picture of that Starbucks gift card. I, in my slideshow, Google a stock image of a Starbucks (laughs) gift card. (laughs) Um, You know, I'm fortunate that um, I grew up where my dad had like a VHS camera on his shoulder Mm. and a big, big film camera. Like we were documenters. Like my dad was a documenter and I'm a documenter. I take probably 30, 40 pictures a day. And now we live in a world where I literally carry 10,000 photos with me in the cloud through my phone. Um, but there was a quote that I, uh, came across once that I remember as frequently as I can. And it's about what is art and who are artists. It says that an artist's job is to experience the extremes of humanity and come back and report about it poetically. Hmm. And so as I travel and as I have little moments like, um, this moment this morning I was in my local coffee shop and there's this beautiful blonde lady and I'm recently single and I worked up the courage to ask her for her phone number when she took my coffee order and uh and she said, I don't think my boyfriend would like that very much and uh I I felt so proud of myself and I went to my buddy's house and I said, oh my God, I asked her for her phone number and I haven't dissected all of the lessons that came from this moment
1: mm-hmm.
2: this morning. But that moment is so rich and my heart was pounding and I was like, what should I say and how should I say it? And, and life is just so full of every little moment that um, we as storytellers, as artists get to report about poetically. So um, to answer your question, when did I start capturing these moments? It's actually around the time that I started considering myself an artist there was a time where I uh, I had a very distinct transformation from the identity of I am an entrepreneur, I make money and I solve problems and I have a business to I am an artist. And one of the things I did to reinforce that belief and identity in myself is I went out and bought these brilliant blue plastic glasses, real prescription glasses, but like the kind of glasses where you kind of have to say, hey, Nice glasses, like you got to say something (laughs) about them, right? And it was like an artifact for me that says, reminder, I'm an artist.
0: Wow. (laughs) What a story. (laughs) I love that you mentioned the the thing about the coffee shop. I've noticed actually now probably more than ever having more moments like that where I'm just finding that why not give it a try, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like, why not change a narrative? Why not experience something different? I'm in a similar boat as you are, and that's being single and having these opportunities present in front of myself, and I literally just started to try, right? Mm -hmm. Why not ask for the phone number? Why not strike a conversation and see where that leads with no expectations, right? Like, yeah. It might well, end there. It might lead to conversation number two. It might, yeah. like, who knows where it might go?
2: Uh, it's it's a very exciting time. And I could talk about this the whole interview if you wanted to. But <laughs> here, here's, what I, uh, here's what I've learned is, like, when I see, in this case, let's call it an opportunity. Sure. A beautiful woman. And I think about approaching. And then I start to doubt myself. And then now it's... Been too long, and it would be weird if I approached and I leave mm-hmm. the place. I don't feel good about that. But what what was interesting is I left the coffee shop this morning. You might say rejected, but I was so proud of myself, mm-hmm. and it was just because I I went for it. And I think the secret to that is less thinking. That's the secret. The longer you think about it, the less likely you're going to do it. So, you know, if you can extrapolate that into life in general, it's like when you see an opportunity, just go for it and you'll be proud of yourself.
0: Well, I think also within that, what I found is that so much of it truly does boil down to the story. And I, and what I mean by that is the internal story that you tell yourself, right? Mm. Everything that you just described, Mm -hmm. is she going to respond? How is she going to respond? How am I going to look? Am I going to say the right things within those thoughts alone? Like four right there. But the longer you think about it, you can come up with a hundred different reasons for why it's not going to work. And then ultimately, those are the reasons and those are the stories that are going to prevent you from any sort of action, period. And most of yeah. the time, what I have found is that in similar situations, the other it's not like the other person is waiting there, right? It's not like the other person is waiting there and thinking that, okay, He's going to come to me right now. I have to respond in this way. And if I don't say that, it's just sometimes things just happen. Yeah, And yeah, there are awkward moments and moments of yeah. silence and all these things. But I feel like that's just a natural process of being a human. Yeah, And I think the more like that I've been able to challenge my own story and my own narrative in a way, the easier the process of life has become.
2: I think one of the beliefs that really helps is believing that you are a gift Mm. and believing that people are better off with you Mm -hmm. and your presence. And so applied to the the situation with the girl, it's like, if I believed in my bones that she would be lucky to give her phone number to me and that she would be lucky to have a date with me and she would be lucky to be in my presence, then I actually look at my offer or request as a gift. Mm apply that to the speaking business. If I say, I would love to speak at your conference, and I believe that you having me as a speaker is going to be such a great gift to your whole community that I almost feel like I'm being generous and you're lucky for me to offer uh, myself as a contributor or speaker in your conference now without being too egotistical but just Mm -hmm. being like believing that you're here to serve and you're here to give and you're not here to take the opposite of that is um if i ask for your phone number i'm gonna make your life hell (laughs) yeah the opposite of that is if i come and speak at your conference i just want your money i just want to get in and get my money and get out of Mm -hmm. there um which i think is actually people's default source of fear it's like uh I don't want to. I don't want to ask to speak at your conference because it feels like I'm taking. Yeah, but you reframe that and you're like, no, actually, you're lucky for me to ask you to speak at your conference because I'm. You're gonna
0: look back and be like, that was a really great
2: experience.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, Have, would you say that you've been able to tell the difference though between a genuine belief like that and arrogance?
2: Yeah. Um,
0: and if so, like, what is that? Because I, I mean, I'm sure you do too. I've been approached many different times by different people say, "Hey, I'd love to speak here. I'd love to be a guest on the show," and blah, blah, blah. And sometimes I could sense it off the bat that this is very much one and done deal. What's in it mm. for me? Mm. And other times, like you and I, when you and I connected, it is just like a genuine trust that, hey. I want to be a part of the space. I want to help. I want to share. I want to learn. And I've just been curious, like how do other people notice the difference between the two? Because I think there is a difference between the two.
2: Yeah. So there's transactional versus relationship. Mm -hmm. And then there's arrogance versus confidence. So transactional says, I'll give you this. You give me that. You'll be happy. I'll be happy. We'll go on our way. Um. Personally, I'm predisposed to a belief that I would love to be friends for the rest of our lives. And uh, so I look at every speaking opportunity or even every conversation as the beginning of a lifelong relationship. Mm -hmm. If I'm going to speak to someone's audience, it's a beginning of a lifelong relationship between me and that whole community. And it's just the beginning of that. Not because I want to come back and take more and get paid again and get paid again, but because uh I can continue and we grow together. And I've been doing this now 12 years. And, you know, I just had dinner with like uh eight guys we've we've known each other for twelve years and looking around the table like who would have thought we would be, you know, still friends and at this table 12 years later? Um, but that's always my intention. Mm. So when I got an introduction email to you, Oleg, I go, great, how can I support this guy? I'm curious, uh, Mm -hmm. what what can we do together, right? Um, And by the way, I'm going to introduce you to my guy at Harvard, he came back to me and said, and that's going to be said, he's really excited to meet you. So that's going to be great. And let's see what else we can do for each other. Mm -hmm. Um, Arrogance versus confidence. So, um, you know, sometimes the beliefs that I carry are a bit delusional. Yeah, like, And I, and I choose my beliefs intentionally. Like I, when I remember, I choose to believe that the whole universe is conspiring in my favor and everything's happening for my greater good. You know, it's a little delusional. Um, and you know, something terrible happens and I've trained myself to make a, make a fist and pull down and go, yes, I get in the car accident. Yes. This means I get to meet a new mechanic and I get to learn about, I get to learn about how insurance works.
1: Yes. Right.
2: (laughs) Right. And so that's like, um, you know, some people call it toxic positivity, like it's like delusional. Um, but I think confidence, true confidence comes from experience mm. and wisdom and earned wisdom and earned experience. Um, arrogance, I think, is the performance of confidence that's mm. masking insecurity. Um, but, you know, I've, I've seen reflected to me, people say, you know, you're, you're pretty full of yourself. I've heard people say, you're pretty full of yourself, to which I say, well, who else would I be so full of? You know, Mm -hmm. Um, so I think and one of the things that I reflected to me is like people appreciate my confidence. Mm -hmm. That's that's one thing I hear from people when they're comfortable telling me. And I think there's also often probably more people who don't tell me this guy's pretty arrogant Mm -hmm. because they're not used to that level of
0: uh, displayed confidence. Mm hmm. And I think also to add on to it is something that I've learned and that is you're not meant to be everyone else's cup of tea. For some that's people, a, you're going to be their coffee,
1: right? That's a,
2: yeah, that's a tough pill for me because um, I just, I really want everybody to like me. It's uh-huh. it's it, it's what makes me so driven to be a performer, to make everyone laugh and make everyone clap. Um, but that's a good reminder is that, yeah, I'm not everyone's cup of tea.
0: Yeah, and just, it's just a fact. I mean, er, any crowd, any single group, maybe if it's a crowd of one, you'll go 100%. But something that I've learned is just that anything bigger than that, there's always the possibility of one other person. Not laughing at your jokes, not liking what you say, not agreeing with who you are, with how you're being. And it is, I will say it's a tough one for me as well because I'm the same exact way and I think part of the reason is because you know I do show up my best self as best as I could and yeah. whenever I hear a remark saying well I don't like this or I don't agree with that it it does hurt and I, and I think it's there's nothing wrong with acknowledging that but is it something that ultimately I overcome and never think about again I don't know I don't know if it's possible to be honest mm and i I found that to be challenging sometimes when I hear different perspectives, and maybe people have found a way to do that. But when people say yes, it's totally possible to overcome it. I haven't found it. I haven't found that trick. Mm-hmm. And you know when it comes to like stories, something that you and I have been talking about the whole time, different people tell different stories in different ways, right? And hearing one person's story, especially when it comes to stories of conflict, and then you hear it from another person's perspective, and it could change the way that you view the other person, the relationship you have with them. And it's just, it's fascinating to me how I think complex the world really is, and how much of it I don't truly know, and I may never find out. Yeah. So it's really, it. it's just, it's interesting, I think, how people come of different paths and even going back to the story, how much emphasis is put on what is your story, you got to figure it out now, when really at the end of the day, I mean, do we really even know that part, right? Or do we just well, know a glimpse of it at this point?
2: We want to make sense of things. And one of the phrases that I train myself to use to remind myself that I'm making up a story about everything is when I'm I'm in conversation, especially when I'm in conflict and I need to be like really mindful of my language, I will use the phrase, the story I am making up about what just happened here is. Mm. The story I'm making up about what this means is, that's just simply to remind myself and take responsibility that I am the story-making machine here. Yeah. And um, I'm going to my first ever speed dating uh, night on Monday. Okay. I, I don't know what to expect, but I have an idea. Sure. And I think what's going to happen is we're both going to be sort of trying to figure out each other in like, I don't know, three minutes or less or, you know. Oh, yeah. The we'll, whole life.
1: Yeah. Right. <laughs> so what
2: are the how does a how does a human try to figure out a human? And like make sense of them in three minutes. So usually there's something like, where are you from? How long have you been here? Mm
1: -hmm.
2: How long have you been single? Obviously, we know we're single. Right? Uh, What do you like to do? 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 What do you do for fun? What What do you work? Yeah. So all of this is like data points and then we leave that conversation and then we have like a shortcut summary for that person oh yeah she was the um the business banker with the kids Mm. right we have this like label that that we use to make sense of it and i think that's what we're doing you know for our clients as we're trying to help them communicate who they are i mean who are these people that were supporting Oleg? I mean, they're the universe, mm. they're a miracle, they're a star, they're a child of, of God, they're an accountant,
0: you know, and there's, these are just different words to try to make mm. sense of who they are and what they mean. Yeah. It's interesting, I, I think, going back to the concept of labels, how beneficial they could be, but also how detrimental they could be at times. Right. Not even necessarily – I I guess maybe it could be mislabeling, but remembering someone for one specific thing when really they could be something completely different. I've been in situations like you described. You go on a date and you immediately slap a label, uh, toxic, banker, blah, 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 when really it's just you might have met that person on one day when they had X, Y, and Z happen, right? Sure. And then the next day, like they could be a completely different person yeah just due to the fact that they've handled whatever adversity that they were facing that day so that's that to me is also an interesting part the stories that we tell about other people to ourselves while maybe not fully accounting the fact that that is just a, a glimpse of the individual that i saw and tomorrow they might be different
2: and you know um i've had several uh, i call them rebrands In my Mm -hmm. life, I can think of, I can think of four distinct ones. The first one where I was talking about my achievements and look at how great I am. And I remember I had a white shirt and a red tie and a black suit and a short haircut, because that's what I was told you need to wear at a job interview. Mm. And I had a resume that was just like it was supposed to look. And that was, that was like the Majeed trying to get a job. And then there was this, um, flamboyant, colorful Majid that came out as Majid the entrepreneur. Mm. And then I became a dad and I stopped wearing a tie, but I still wore a blazer. And then there was like dad Majid. And <laughs> then I got divorced and I had a spiritual awakening and I started wearing beads and necklaces. And then there was like spiritual Majid. And so these, these rebrands of like how I dress um, are distinct in my life. And I'm curious your opinion on this.
1: Mm-hmm. You can make an
2: argument that people are a different person any day in any moment. Sure. And so trying to like tell the story, like how long, what's the shelf
0: life of my story? And mm-hmm. how
2: often do we reevaluate who am I?
1: Mm-hmm. Well,
0: that's a good question. I, I think for me, what I'll say is that the reevaluating. Probably only takes place at the beginning of new chapters, mm-hmm. or at an end. I, I don't know yeah. how often. When I was younger, I would take the time to reflect in the middle of a chapter. It's more mm-hmm. so when it's ending, and when I'm looking to create an opportunity for a new one. It's funny you mention all those different identities. I remember <laughs> multiple phases. The kid, the kid that I was in high school is a drastically different person than I am today, even in college. And I think a lot of it had to do with behavior, what I was focused on, what I found meaning in. So I would say the reflection probably happens either towards the end or towards the beginning of a new one. And in regard to the story that you tell, that's also an interesting question because in that regard – What story do you tell, right? Do you tell the story of, okay, I've been through five different phases of who I am. Which one do you want to hear? The first or the last or the one in the middle? Or do you just tell the most impressive one, right? Even within a couple of seconds, you could kind of gauge what the person is seeking. So let's say they're seeking for someone who's stable, someone who has... An income, someone who has been in X, Y, and Z experience, are you going to tell those stories because they're more relatable or are you going to tell something completely different? I was 19. I was broke. I had no intention for a family. And then I I think a lot of the stories that we tell are based on how relatable they're going to be to the individual. Exactly. And that's the principle is that
2: all communication really depends on the recipient, the the audience in this case, yes. And so, if someone approached me and said, "What's your story?", I would be not able to answer it. I would reply with a question: "Tell me a little bit about you," so that I know what I should be communicating. You know, to to connect with them. Because if if someone says, "Tell me your story," um, or asks me a question like, "Who are you? Where are you from? What do you do?" Those are all variations of "What's your story?" I. I'm hesitant to try to communicate what I am without some context about what would connect. Yeah. Oh, like I've got a question for you. Um, When you came onto my radar, it was an email. Yeah. I saw uh, Oleg. That's a unique name to me. Uh Uh-huh. Then I saw a picture. Oh, here's a guy, long blonde hair. Uh Uh-huh. And I was expecting that. And then I saw you on video <laughs> and I was waiting for your head to turn and I'm pretty sure you have short hair. Yep. <laughs> and I had very long hair uh, a few years ago and I cut it off as part of my rebrand. I think you still codes. do in the
0: picture. I, I swear I saw that in the Gmail signature. Oh, oh I, I have long hair. It's just in a, so I got this. And you know, when I,
2: depending on what I'm doing. Um, yeah, It was it's part exactly like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's part of my signature, you know? So I'm uh I'm curious was there a significant event that inspired
0: you to cut your hair and how have you felt this change So it's a good question the first part is I just wanted to grow it out I wanted to grow it out because there was a point where I felt the hair was long enough and I actually you know liked the way that it looked and then it, and then it got to a point where I guess I was a little bit overdue on a haircut. Mm. And so I just started to let it grow out and just to experience like, what would it be like to have longer hair than I had before? Yeah. And at a certain point I realized that that was not the look that I wanted to have. You know, I was quote unquote becoming someone I didn't want to be. Mm. And that's where I decided to make the change and cut it. Now the, difference between let's say now to five to six years ago is that five to six years ago i was very comfortable with just a straight buzz cut Mm. i remember even asking my parents for it might have been for christmas or whatever time to give me one of those clippers so i could just shave it all off sure yeah now i don't choose to do that to myself because i don't enjoy that look that much it's mm-hmm. not part of my quote unquote story yeah that i want to tell so that was the big decision that i made within my own life and and also i think part of it had to do due to the influence from other people other people said you know oh i really like the look when you have a little bit longer hair and so after a while i think you you listen to enough people where it kind of becomes a part of your own identity now, you still get to choose to what length and how often you want to cut it and stuff like that. But I, I would say that was my phase. And one other thing that I'll mention about hair is about four years ago, four to five years ago, I discovered a thing called conditioner. Mm. And it changed <laughs> my life. <laughs> my hair used to yeah. be so flat. Mm. And I tried it one time. And it was one of those moments where I'm like, I'm not going back. Mm-hmm. And then it just got volume there. There was texture. Then I look myself in the mirror and I see a different person than I've seen all these years prior. Yeah. So it it was a mind blowing concept to say the least. Yeah. But going back to kind of identity, I think hair or maybe any part of our physical makeup plays a role into our story. Hmm. You know, it's how we present ourselves. I mean, why do you choose to wear the shirt that you do compared to th- hundreds of other shirts that you could yeah. have chosen? Right? Yeah. yeah. Why yeah. one specific color over other colors? I mean, there are certain colors, nothing against colors, but there are certain colors that I just don't enjoy wearing as much. Mm-hmm. You rarely see me in pink, nothing against pink. It just, I don't know. It, I gravitate more towards green. I like orange. I like white you know, and black. I like purple, um, you know?
2: One of one of the uh, parts of my journey when it comes to like how I express myself and the choices I make is earlier and still now to a high degree. My choices were based around the question is what is going to get approval from other people. Yes. So when I ask myself, what color shirt do I wear? I'm actually asking myself, what color shirt are other people going to think looks good on yes. me? And then as I've become more um, grounded in my giving myself the validation and love that I've been seeking from other people, it's become question the question of what makes me feel good. Mm. this is one of the things that's interesting about being single is you start to make all of your decisions around just what makes me feel me feel good instead of being like part of a of a couple or a family Mm -hmm. um i saw that evolution
0: you know what's that a unit a nucleus i think i think there's something to be not to interrupt you but there's something to be said about when one is in a relationship, and I can't say it's true for every single person, but it, it's definitely been true for me, You, there's a fine line between being able to make decisions of your own, and then there's a fine line be- between becoming too dependent on the other person to make decisions for you. Yes. I'll tell you that one of my first serious relationships, however many years ago by now, I was way too dependent, I mean, to the point where I was probably seconds away from asking whether or not I can go to the bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you learn, right? Yeah. Like, Talk about opportunities that are given to you. One can learn from those opportunities. So now when I get into one or the most recent one I've been in, I'm much more interdependent. And that's I'm able to kind of take the other person's perspective of what they're wanting me to do and still evaluate my decision and then find the common ground between the two versus when I started, it was not even close to that. Like, hey, take out the trash. Done.
1: Mm -hmm. No
0: consideration. How about you do it? Or I'm busy. Or, you know, they're just so many different things. And I I think it's interesting kind of going back to the topic of how do you even tell your story? I think the same thing applies to relationships. How do you make decisions and to anything, I guess what I'm learning is that there are phases to it. There are chapters, Mm -hmm. you know, you start telling your story, probably not the way that you're going to tell your story 10 years down the road.
2: Yeah. Um, can I share some frameworks that I think would be helpful to our of listeners? Course. Yeah. 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 I think the framework from blank to blank is a, a nice way to tell a story. Um, I work with a client. Uh, she was a math teacher in New York. Mm-hmm. And she worked with kids, uh, troubled, troubled youth, and challenged kids in New York City and Manhattan. And now she's a spiritual coach teaching sales to spiritual entrepreneurs Mm -hmm. so her from blank to blank is from math teacher to seven figure coach uh for me it's it's from struggling motivational speaker to seven figure public speaking coach sure from immigrant persian kid to newly canadian father uh of two You know, so the from blank or origin Mm. to blank where you are now is a real simple way to communicate the journey.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: That's a good one. I like that. It's simple. Yeah. It could be done in a sentence.
1: Yeah. So, you you know, give
0: people the opportunity to ask whatever questions they have.
2: What would you call yours, Oleg? What's your from blank to blank?
0: From Russia with love yeah yeah <laughs> to Texas from from Russia to Texas from Russia to Texas, yeah it's a good question because I I think for me it, it varied so many different times. I, I remember for a while I said from an orphan to a us citizen uh, and then after a while I started to realize that even though I was an orphan, it's not a term that is an active part of my identity anymore. So whenever people say like, where are you from? I just say from Russia. I don't even mention a town. I don't mention what time I was, when I was adopted or anything like that.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: You know, so for me, from from Russia to US, from Russia to an entrepreneur, from Russia to a public speaker. And I would say to make the story even longer, is that for me, it's been a harder one to articulate and put in a sentence. And the reason why is because I think I'm still in the process of trying to discover that label that I feel confident in identifying with. A label that I feel like I I haven't outgrown and a label that carries a story with it that I enjoy. Yeah.
2: Oh, like, do you know your precise time and location of birth?
0: I was born in the morning. I think it was either 9 or 10 a.m. Location is a town called Chelyabinsk mm-hmm. in Russia.
2: Yeah. You're gonna need to know the exact minute if you're if you're dating in Austin because you gotta uh-huh. be careful. These these uh, these astrology girls, they go home and they pull your chart and they're like, "Oh, you're a Libra with,
0: <laughs> with a the, moon I, rising." I have experienced a fair <laughs> share of those. I I have been yeah on that hole. I you know for me, I don't know how it is for you, but those things they don't carry as much meaning. And the reason why is because I feel like. Ultimately, you get to assign the meaning that you want to all the different events, to why certain things have happened. And sure, there's data as far as number of people have experienced similar thing that I'm sure you can look at it and say, okay, there might be a larger meaning to some of it. But I would say, if anything, it's the meaning that I choose to assign and then to the things that I don't have a meaning to it, I just accept it for what it is. Yeah. I don't know why certain things have happened going back to from to two i remember when i was in an interview or a couple of the interviews that i did on tv and and people the reporters oftentimes focused on the story of adversity you know from an orphan to an entrepreneur from an orphan to a business owner from uh i i remember one specifically was from an orphanage to an american dream and I looked at those things and I found that I believe there's a natural fascination with adversity, with hardship, yes. Yes. with times of fear, times of uncertainty. Yes. And the first time I had that observation, I didn't really like it because I felt that I was so much more than that. Sure, I'd faced a lot of different challenges. Many of the challenges, I didn't really get a choice. It just kind of happened, right? In None of us really control where we're born, who our parents are, and the circumstances that are going to be presented in front of us. To a degree, you might control how we're going to deal with them, how we're going to reframe, what we're going to learn, stuff like that. But so many of the things that are out of my control, and I realized that in having a lot of those labels, it was harder for me to find my own identity when essentially an identity was given to you. Right. When you are given the label of from an orphanage to a an American dream, the question is, do you want to live up to that? Mm. Have you lived up to that? Mm. So it just sets, I feel like a, a set of expectations. <laughs> or maybe I've set those expectations for myself. It's it's impossible to
2: fully define you yeah, it's the limit it's the limitation of words, It's the limitation of brevity. Mm. Um, I do have another framework to share mm-hmm. And this is what I call the best in the world framework mm-hmm. And it's based on the intention of using story to sell, and your ideal client is looking for the best in the world solution for them. Sure. And so that's why I call this the best in the world framework. And it's the blank, for, blank, who, blank. The, for, who. Mm-hmm. And so what people typically do is when you say, what do you do? They say, I am a, and then they say their category of work. I'm a massage therapist. I'm a public speaker. I'm a lawyer. And what they're saying is that they are one of many. There are many lawyers. There are many accountants. There are many massage therapists, right? Mm-hmm. Um But when you say I am the blank, for blank, who blank, it sounds like this. I am the public speaking coach for entrepreneurs who want to grow their business with public speaking. Mm. I am the accountant for dentists who want to pay less taxes. So it's the profession for target market.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: who desire. Mm -hmm. So I am the bakery for gluten intolerant people who want to have delicious bread.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: I'm the grocery store for busy people who want to do their groceries faster.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: So the for who. So I take my clients, all of them through this process. Now, when someone says, what do you do? They say I'm the blank for blank who blank, and it's precisely who they want to serve. Mm-hmm. And when they say the, and I always correct my clients or or if I'm supporting someone in their personal brand, if, and whenever they say I am a, as soon as you say I'm a, it's like you're just one of many. I'm one a life many.
1: coach. Mm-hmm.
2: I'm a life coach. I'm the life coach for dads going through divorce.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm. Are you a life coach for dads going through divorce? I certainly could be. <laughs> um,
1: <laughs>
0: I don't call myself
2: a life coach, um, but I do have a, a lived experience that would be very helpful for a dad going through divorce. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah.
0: Do you do you call yourself a coach? What's your relationship with the word coach? Actually, I
2: love the word coach. Mm-hmm. I do call myself a word coach. The the word coach. I call myself a public speaking coach, or I call myself the public speaking coach for entrepreneurs who want to grow their business with public speaking. That's because you sell what people want so that you can give them what they need. Once they become my client, I coach them on something not really public speaking. I coach them on something called uh self-perception, how they see themselves. I help them work on how that but I don't call myself a self-perception coach because people don't know that's what they need. They want to yeah. get on stages they want to get on stages speaking so they're looking for a public speaking coach. Mm. Now the word coach. I think the word coach is a combination of therapist and consultant. Yes. Consultant has the experience and has the answers. Therapist helps you figure out why you're not doing it. Because my clients know what they need to do. Typically, they're just not doing it because of a belief. Mm -hmm. That's where the therapy comes in. Yeah. So yeah, coach gives you the tactics and strategies, holds you accountable, and does it
0: in a way that allows you to get out of your own blind spots and mindset setbacks. Mm I like that because I, I struggle with that word for a number of years, coach. And part of it is I think because I I've just felt for many years that I never really had the answers to anyone else's problems. I felt that people have them within themselves, and so it took me a while to kind of reframe and understand, I I the difference between what you even just mentioned. Cons- one is a consultant or a combination of a consultant and a therapist. Yeah. Because I remember leave. I would leave conversations and people oftentimes say, you should go into therapy or you should become a therapist or you should do this, you should do that. And I think there is a fine line between being able to hold a space for the other person to kind of hear themselves, process their own thoughts, yeah, yeah. but then also hold themselves accountable and help them create a plan or a sense of direction yeah, that they can move forward with.
2: Yeah. One way to say it is good coaches tell people exactly what they need to do. Great quote, great coaches ask questions Mm. that lead people to the clarity of knowing exactly what to do. And what I do is once people get clear on what they need to do, then I say, okay, when are you going to do that by (laughs) where specifically location wise, are you going to do that? So you're going to do it Wednesday at noon. Where are you going to be? I'm going to be at my desk. Mm. So they're seeing themselves doing the thing. And then I go, okay. and, And how can I hold you accountable to that? How can we celebrate it when it's done? That's the kind of level of, uh, accountability that i think a good coach can get to
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah i like that speaking of questions where can people connect with you what do you have going on that people can be a part of
2: yeah um tiktok is my favorite place to send people now um i'm Anyone on tiktok
0: your date where can they connect with you yeah uh fill out an application <laughs> <laughs> Um, there's a PDF form on the website.
1: <laughs> yeah,
2: So you can find me on TikTok at expert speaker, expert speaker is my brand expert is my website. Um, expert speaker is the name of my book. You can get the book for free at expert You can download the PDF right away. Um, people who are interested in growing their business with public speaking and want to book a call with me can go to expert speaker.com slash apply. So those are the places. You got expert speaker book. You got my website, which has a a free masterclass on it. You can book a call with me, expertspeaker.com slash apply. Or you can find me on TikTok at tiktok.com slash at expertspeaker.
0: Thank you all for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. If you haven't done so already, please consider subscribing to our future episodes so you can receive all of the latest content. Also, if you like what you heard, consider leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google so more people can find these inspiring and courageous conversations. Once again, we thank you for listening and we look forward to having you next time.